Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah everybody and welcome home. For the past few years we've always started our programs with this statement and we mean it because community is a place that we all should call home. A place that gives us peace, a place that gives us tranquility and a place that we know is going to be there. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes faith in the Quran, He mentions stability as being a requirement for faith to grow. Asluha thabit wa far'uha sama That its roots are firm and its branches grow to the sky. If we don't have stability, if we don't have permanence, if we don't know that something is going to be there for us, then our faith won't be able to grow. This is why when the Prophet ﷺ came to Medina and made the migration, the hijrah with his companions, at that moment, when they arrived at their new permanent home, he said the beautiful phrase, Afshus salam, spread peace. Why? Because peace can be attained now that we have a place that we can call home. For the past five years, Roots has been able to be a part of so many people's lives, alhamdulillah, by the grace of Allah. And we're so honored to have that be a part of our legacy. But we've been doing it in temporary spaces. We've been doing it in hotel banquet halls, in masjid side rooms, in people's living rooms at home, and in temporary lease spaces where when we were signing the lease, we knew that this was not going to be there forever. But that can change. By the favor of Allah, with our foundational organization, Qalam, we've been able to find this beautiful property here in Carrollton, Texas that will be the permanent location and facility for the Roots Community Space. A place where everybody can feel that tranquility and have that growth of faith that Allah Ta'ala tells us about. We need your help to close on this property. We need you to generously donate and contribute whatever you can, adding your name to this list of people that will help build and construct a permanent home for us to build the model community following the example of the Prophet Muhammad in Medina. Help us make this dream a reality. Visit rootsdfw.org slash home. Assalamu alaikum everybody. Alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'een. Welcome home. Good to see everybody again, alhamdulillah, in person. I hope inshallah that everybody is uh, doing well and uh, their health is good. Um, just a quick reminder for everybody uh, just uh, we, we're gonna really try inshallah to do our best to maintain the, the amount and responsibility that we have to the community just to keep our masks on inshallah um, as, as, as much as possible obviously I know a lot of us are eating and stuff so we're gonna try to treat this like an airplane when you're eating go ahead and eat but when you're done eating or even if you're taking a break between a long break between eating and drinking then just please go ahead and cover up uh, your, your mouth and your nose. I understand that people here have different understandings and beliefs about their immunity or their immune status, which is fine. Uh, but again, this is just a request that we have for the, uh, for the safety of people, inshallah, here and for their loved ones as well, inshallah. It's a very small request, right? It's not a big deal. Um, it allows us to see, mashallah, the beauty of your forehead and your eyes. <laughs> and really focus on that. Okay. <laughs> so... Uh, we are, inshallah, tonight going to be uh, concluding and wrapping up. Let me just turn this up a little bit. Concluding and wrapping up the uh, the last verse here in Surah Al-Fatiha. This verse is really the conclusion of the conversation that we've had until this point, and uh, a lot of the conversation that we've had has talked about how Surah Al-Fatiha is like this. Um, it's this orientation towards Allah. It's being able to introduce the reader towards Allah, their creator, their Lord, and also Islam as their faith, and just kind of being able to give everybody uh, a proper orientation towards uh, what the straight path looks like. And Allah Ta'ala mentions the straight path, Surah Al-Mustaqim, 
at the end of the last verse that we talked about, and I know that uh, a lot of us here in person, you know, for the last two weeks we've been online, and last week I really wanted to focus on this, this last verse and why Allah Ta'ala mentions uh, the aspect of community being tied to guidance, right? Community and guidance are things that in Islam are like inextricable. You can't remove them from each other. Um, and in part because of experiences like the masjid. You know, I, I went and did Umrah, alhamdulillah. And in my Umrah, um, you're there praying with thousands and thousands of people and you've never met them before. And there was a, a there was a, a person who was sitting next to a group of us, and we were all speaking English, right? Because we're a group from America primarily. And the brother who was next to me was from uh, Morocco, and he asked, "Where are you from?" Uh, and I said, "We're from America." And he starts, you know, asking me, "What's the status of Muslims in America? Like, do you guys have a masjid? <laughs> like, in America, do you have a masjid?" And I actually corrected, I said, I said, like we have a lot of masjids. And he started crying. He started shedding tears. And I, I, I told him, I said, like, you know, we, we feel your love here and we feel it, you know, we feel it close and Ba'id as well. And he said, you he said, you have no idea how much we pray for you. Right? You have no idea how much we pray for you. So realize that being a part of this ummah is something that you don't even quite understand, me and you both. None of us understand to the full extent of how much of the blessings of our lives are predicated upon the prayers of those people that we've never met, but we call each other brothers and sisters. And so the ability to have that community is something that is absolutely essential. And that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his wisdom, he communicates that in this first chapter. Yes, there are things that you'll have to do alone. Right? There are moments where you will be alone. Nobody can fulfill certain obligations for you. Right, there, there are moments of individualism in Islam. But at large, the idea of belonging to a community and benefiting from that village is something that nobody can, can do without, nobody can perform in Islam without a community. Right? And so Allah Ta'ala, he, he, he mentions that to us. And then he gives us now this final verse. And this final verse, it gives us a lot. It's very straightforward. You know, some might even say that it's fairly simple in its presentation, right? It's short. But the, the nuance that you can unpack is, is remarkable. So Allah Ta'ala finishes by clarifying. Guide us to the straight path, the path of, of istiqama, the path that is mustaqim. And then there's like a colon, okay? In Arabic, they don't have colons, but... If you look at the next verse, you see that Allah now does what? He starts to define who are those people who are on this straight path. Sirat al-ladina and amta alayhim. He introduces now this first group. Allow us to be on this path, the same path of those people that you have blessed with your favor, that you have given your sorry, let me mute that. That you have given your favor to. What do you guys think of when you think of Allah's favor? What do you think of? Because it's very vague. It's left wide open. If I were to say, do you want to be someone that Allah favors? What, what does that mean? Favor is also such an interesting word, right? It's a hard translation. Some people translate it as blessed. When you think of favors, we think of like the dry date and the rock sugar candy that people have at their weddings, right? <laughs> the date that no one eats, okay? When we think of Allah's favor, we think of the blessing and the, the gift of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
What is the greatest gift that Allah has given you? Huh? Good health. Okay, is good health a gift from Allah? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, has anyone here been sick before? Yeah, when do you recognize that good health is a gift from Allah? When you're hugging the toilet, right? <laughs> right? Like, honestly, or when you can't get out of bed, or when your fever is, is unreal, or when you can't walk, or you're injured. That's when you realize how, how much of a blessing good health is. And as you're sitting there, and you know, you want to get up, man, I'll never forget when I tore my ACL, right? Hashtag the return. This was like six years ago. I'm the. <laughs> I'm back to scoring buckets. I'm back to giving out buckets for dinner. So when I tore my ACL, you know what I missed the most? It's crazy. It wasn't the fact that trying to go to the bathroom, I shattered a toilet seat because I just fell straight down on the, on the toilet. There's a lot of toilet jokes tonight, right? Okay. It wasn't the fact that like I couldn't run or walk or like sit in a car without falling down and looking foolish. You know what it was? I couldn't make sujood. I couldn't make sajda. And that Ramadan was me and like 16 geriatric uncles praying Tarawih sitting down next to each other. And they're just looking and there's like a bunch of like, mashallah, these like chachas that have incredible amount of good deeds because they've, they've earned their time, right? They've done like, they're 70 plus, 80 plus. And then there's me. And everyone walks in, they look and they're like, all these lazy young Muslims don't even want to stand up and pray. So I had to start wearing my boots so that people would at least give me like a smile and the dua when they walk by. <laughs> But I promise you, I've never cried as much as when I was able to make sajda again. Because I thought about all the times that I skipped prayers. I thought of all the times that I skipped sajda growing up. You know, the times that I just didn't prioritize it. And then Allah took it away from me, right? As an adult, I started praying obviously when I became an adult. But when I was younger, even all the way through high school, praying was something that was more so mandated on me. It wasn't in internal, right? In, in, at, toward the end of high school and college is when I started to think, okay, I have to start praying. Like, my mom's not always going to be able to be there. In fact, when I moved out for my first role ever at the Islamic Association of North Texas as a youth director, right? And I left Chicago. I remember my mom's last words to me. You know what she said as I was driving away? She came to the window, she gave me a hug and a kiss, and then in true Egyptian mother status, she said, Salait. Have you prayed? And I said, yeah, I've prayed. And then she said, I'm never going to be there to ask you this again. Right? So like, I'm telling you, like, this is on you. And, and you might have thought that mom was annoying. And you might have thought that this, 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 this about Salah. But realize, I'm not going to be able to ask you this anymore. And so this is on you. Like, I've done my job. I've done what I had to do. Okay? So... When Allah Ta'ala takes away something like health from us, we realize very quickly what a blessing and what a favor it is. Okay, what else are some of Allah's great favors upon us? Health, what else? Huh? Islam. Islam. Okay, we'll finish with that one for obvious reasons. Anyone else? What's a favor? Parents. Parents. Why are your parents a favor for you? Oh man, I'd be a mess without my mom. Okay. <laughs> Mashallah. Don't don't hold back. <laughs> okay. Subhanallah. Yeah. Having those parents, or maybe that parent, or maybe that family member, right? But generally speaking, yeah, having that relationship with your parents is huge. 
right? Your parents, it's interesting, subhanAllah. And I know that there are some individuals, some people that the relationship may be less than ideal. May Allah Ta'ala help and may Allah Ta'ala heal that relationship. But your parents are interesting. And I'll tell you as a parent myself, and I'm not going to talk about my kids too much because I got an anonymous complaint that I talk about my kids too much. So I'm going to stop. All right? Musa who, right? That's just like a teardrop. Okay. <laughs> it was Voldemort. He's the one who complained. So, so with parents, it's interesting, subhanAllah, because parents, like, Allah has put within the heart of a parent, of a child, a unique ability. You know how they say, like, oil and water don't mix? Okay. Love and anger can coexist in the heart of a parent. Like your parent is the only person in the world that will yell at you, that will, that will just destroy you verbally, and then ask you if you want chips or fries on the side of your sandwich. As they're destroying you, you want more meat on your plate, you ignorant fool, right? It's so interesting, subhanAllah. And this is why... Allah Ta'ala commands us and obligates us to do our best. You know why Allah Ta'ala, after Himself and the Messenger, you know why Allah Ta'ala mandates that we try our best with our parents? And when I say try our best, by the way, that's not me giving a cop-out. That's not me saying like, oh, just try your best. No, you really have to try your best. And only you know your best. You know why Allah Ta'ala does that? It's interesting. One of the tafsirs I read was so powerful. Allah Ta'ala... In, in this tafsir, the scholar said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has assigned to each person responsibility and uh, reciprocal responsibility based on the blessings that Allah, or based on the blessings that person has received. So, who has blessed you the most? God, right? So your number one responsibility above everything else is to who? Allah, right? Allah has given you the most, and as a result you owe the most back to Allah as much as you can, okay? After Allah, who has done the most for you? Actually, the messenger of Allah, sallallahu Okay, I know that I'm not trying to put anyone down. The messenger, right? 1A, 1B, let's put it that way. Allah and his messenger, okay? Why? Because without the Prophet, sallallahu our understanding of Islam, the delivery of the Qur'an, the modeling of good character, the modeling of faith, practical spirituality... All of that is left up to abstract theory, right? It's like we don't know. It's like asking somebody, you know, how to build a, a, a piece of furniture with no instructions, right? How are we going to know? So the Prophet ﷺ comes down with this revelation, this book, and because of him and his gentleness and his mercy and his compassion and his justice and his, 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 his uh, righteousness, we're able to have a, a role model, okay? And then after the Prophet ﷺ, it is who? Our parents. And that's why Allah Ta'ala has mandated that your parents deserve, out of everybody besides him and the messenger, they deserve your utmost effort out of everybody. Because they've done the most for you. Right? And it's crazy. Because we get older and you become independent and you start to think to yourself, like, you know, like I can do this. Right? I can do this. And it's nuts because Allah Ta'ala actually tells us that the responsibility we have to our parents is not contingent upon whether or not we have a good relationship with them, right? There are some people and many people who have tense relationships with their parents. It's real, right? But your job is to do your best within the context of whatever circumstance you find yourself in. Some people's best might be dinner every night, okay? I was once doing premarital counseling with this couple, and the guy... <laughs> 
uh, I was asking, what's your status? Well, like, what's your status with your family? Like, how often do you see each other? And the guy was like, I see my parents. We have two meals a day together. Breakfast and dinner, right? And then chai after dinner. Every day, we're together. I was like, mashallah, that's amazing, right? That's, that's awesome. That's, you know, great. You seem like a great son. So then I asked the, uh, the girl, the, the fiance, the, the, the to-be wife, what's your status with your parents? She's like, uh, I see them like once every two weeks. I said, oh, you must not live at home. She goes, no, I do. I was like, okay, right? And no, and she said, that's just the way that my family rolls. Like everyone's got their own schedules and we just, we try to find time once every week or two to have dinner. And I said, okay, so you're moving and you're marrying this guy and you're probably going to move into his house for a little bit at least. Do you realize that your schedule is about to fill up big time, right? And we had this conversation, right? So the, the, the point I'm trying to make is that two very different life circumstances, but both of them has to have to do their best, okay? Because why? Because having parents is a blessing. At the very minimum, at the very minimum, your parents delivering you into this world and nurturing you to a point where you could become quote-unquote independent is a blessing. You know, the Prophet Sallallahu when he sat down at the grave of his mother, Amina, when he sat, it's in a place called Ebwa, it's right outside of Medina, because they were visiting some of his family when he was a young boy. And later on in life, the companions, when they were traveling, they stopped nearby the place of Abwa. And the Prophet ﷺ, that next morning, his tent was empty. They couldn't find him at the time of Tahajr, Fajr, uh, before Fajr. And so they went to go look for him, and they saw him kneeling before the grave of his mother crying. Right? And she died when he was very young, just a little boy. So why would he be crying if he had not experienced all of the, the gifts of motherhood that she was not able to give him because her life ended before he was older. Well, because just the mere fact that she bore him and nurtured him and allowed him to become the person that he became, was enough for him to feel indebted to her, right? So we all have that. We all have that, regardless what the circumstance is, right? Big blessing, mashallah. What else? What's another blessing Allah has favored you with? It's important to have these sessions and think about the favors Allah has given you. It's very important, yeah. What else? Well, who said that? Okay, what do you mean by that? <laughs> Just explore a little bit. Um, Allah has given us a lot of blessings, even wealth being like being able to afford our lifestyle, being able to be here right now. Even, you know? Sure, and I want to set out like a very like a general disclaimer. Does anyone here like want a raise at work? Okay, stop being so humble. Everyone's like, no. <laughs> the dunya is not for me, brother. Like, <laughs> you got a 20% raise tomorrow. <laughs> like, you guys want some more money? Yes. Like, Allah says you love money. Like, there's no, it's not, it's not evil unless you worship it and it becomes the thing that you devote yourself to over Allah. And, that, and that's a very slippery slope. But wealth, okay? So I'm not trying to say here that like, oh, nobody here has financial struggles. But generally speaking, again, we, and again, you, you really discover this when you, when, you, when you get out a little bit and you go around to places that maybe you, you, know, you, you don't spend all your time in and you realize, subhanAllah, that you, by the virtue of your existence, are in the top like 5% of wealth in the world, right? It's insane. It's absolutely insane, okay? And so, yes, there is this, this idea of macro wealth where like you can find electricity, you know? You, if, if your car dies, like, we can figure it out. We can get some gas and, you know, go fill up your tank or buy a new battery or whatever. We're not in such destitute poverty that, like, 
our concerns are literally the next meal, right? May Allah Ta'ala protect us from this, okay? And, and while we're here, I want to stop and make dua for our brothers and sisters in Brooklyn who passed away in the fire because of that, uh, the systemic neglect of their living situation. May Allah Ta'ala grant them all the status of martyrs and give them, inshallah, Jannah uh, with the Prophet Sallallahu immediately. May Allah Ta'ala give strength and may Allah Ta'ala give patience to their family. Amin Ya Rabbi Amin. So these situations are massive favors of, upon us, okay? But as was mentioned, Islam is the greatest favor. And you know why? This is not like a Sunday school, like after school special. It's, it's legit, okay? And as you get older, you start to grow into this. You are told a lot of statements as a young person, and they don't fit yet, okay? It's like someone giving you a nice pair of J's, and they're beautiful, but they just don't fit yet. You admire them, but you just don't fit into them. You can't wear them. And so the statements that you're told by like elders or parents or Mashiach or whatever, when you're like a teenager or like in Sunday school or like growing up or maybe you just converted or early on, like you just may not have grown into it spiritually yet, but eventually you get to a point where everything fits, okay? And the one statement that when it fits, it makes complete sense is when they say Islam is the greatest gift you've ever been given. And you realize this because you could achieve everything else in your life, but without Islam, there is no meaning. There is no meaning, right? The sun that is shining brightly on a beautiful day is just a temporary moment. There's no existential benefit to it. I'm not able to praise Allah as a result of blessings, right? Gratitude is one of the greatest experiences that humans can have. To feel a sense of gratitude, it gives us life. And if you remove Islam from our consciousness, who are we grateful to? Right? Ourselves. Who are we grateful for? So Islam is in fact the greatest blessing. And that's why Allah Ta'ala says every day, 17 times a day, every salah, the prayer that you pray has to include this chapter, which reminds you of the favor of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Because as you're praying in the middle of your workday, you forget sometimes that Islam is the best thing you have. Right? As you're flying to your vacation, you forget that better than your vacation and better than your, uh, uh, the hangout you have with your friends and you're deciding, Isha just came in, it's like 7 p.m., you're like, should we pray now or should we pray after the Cowboys lose? <laughs> right? Let me tell you something. Praying early is never a bad choice. Right? Praying early is probably the best feeling you ever had. Why? Because you, everyone, you know, I was watching that game last night, by the way. We were watching the last 45 seconds. And it's sad. You know, I saw on Instagram, I saw on Twitter. I'm sorry, Todd's here. Uh, you know, I saw on Instagram and Twitter, and I saw these people and the reactions to the loss, the reactions to the final play call and all that. I mean, people were like writing these stories that were horrifying. Like, I shattered my TV. My wife took my kids to a hotel. Like, my life is ruined because of you, Dallas. Like, I hate you. I hate you, Cowboys. Jerry Jones, I hate you. And it's like, what is going on? And trust me, I've been there, right? The Bears had their famous, like, double doink against the Eagles three years ago. Like, we all have been there devastated by something that was meaningless, okay? But you know what's crazy? Is that as we're standing there and I'm there with some Cowboys fans, I just say, hey, let's go pray. And all of a sudden, like, the scale of importance just shifts completely, right? Islam gives us perspective, and it changes our ability to appreciate things. It gives us the ability to appreciate things. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he mentions this. Now here's the other really cool thing, man. 
When you guys have heard of someone's success story or someone achieving what you want, what do you start to do? Tell me a time when you have heard about somebody, you had a goal in mind, you wanted to work somewhere, okay? What do you do when you try to get a job at a certain company? Anyone here on LinkedIn? What do you do? You try to connect with who? Let's say you want to get a job at Google, okay? Or Facebook or Meta or anything. You want to get a job at these places. What do you do? Okay, the uncle or auntie, right? Some people might be offended by that because they're probably in their 30s. So you don't want to call them uncle or auntie yet. You try to connect. Very good. You try to make connections, okay? And you try to go to LinkedIn and find out, who do I know that knows someone that knows someone that works at Google? So I'm like, um, Ava Bada. It's like not even eight. You know, how's the family? They're not married. Like, you know, you just try to, and then you try to get in, right? You try to get that internal uh, reference, Okay, so that when you apply, your, your application bubbles up to the top a little bit, right? We, when we see something that we want to achieve, we always look for precedence. We look for somebody that's done it. Because that gives us, number one, technically speaking, it gives us a roadmap. Hey, how did you do this? Okay, so when you find someone that's done something, you're like, wait, 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 wait. Explain to me exactly how you did this. Because if I want to achieve what you've achieved, and you've already been there, I just need the steps. Give me the recipe, okay? That's number one. There's a technical, there's a technical aspiration, okay? Number two, and this is sometimes even more important, is that it gives us hope, right? I'll never forget. Again, this is getting personal. When I uh, was trying to convince my wife's parents to let us get married, I was young. I was 18, okay? And they were like, where do you, like, where do you even live? Sesame Street? And I was like, that's not nice. <laughs> <laughs> You know, uh, no, I was trying to convince them to get me. It was a crazy story. Another day, another time, inshallah. We're starting a marriage series soon, inshallah. Maybe we can talk about that. But I'll remember when I was trying to get married to my wife, and we were both in college. Okay, now for my mother, who's Arab, is something very normal. It's very like, it's, it's something that's not shocking. And so trying to like talk to my mom, she had no questions. My dad, in the true like Caucasian, Dad, fashion was like, whatever makes you happy, son. Like, that was all he said. Okay? So I had zero resistance from my side of the family. I've been working since I was 12. Like, I had, I had no issue. The issue was that my wife, her parents are uh, Daisy. And for them, they're like, what? How are you going to, right? And rightfully so, there was questions. And I was a little bit naive. When they asked questions, I was like, subhanAllah. This is against the sunnah. The Prophet Sallallahu did not have these questions. When in fact, he did, but I just hadn't read the hadith yet. So, the point I'm trying to make is that as I was fighting this uphill battle, okay, as I was trying to swim upstream here and, and battle all the current that was against me, I found someone in my community who had achieved the impossible. He had gotten married in college to a desi. And so I go to him and I'm like, sensei, like I am your student. Teach me how you were able, right, to, to, to do this, you know? And subhanAllah, can I tell you, the advice he gave me was absolutely useless. Because all of it was specific to him. And his situation. But one thing I did walk away with was the hope that it can be done. That I'm not, that we're not completely 
undefeated. You know what I mean? We're not completely defeated. We, we, we do have a win, you know? Now, fast forward, my wife and I have been married. This is our 14th year, okay? Now, fast forward, I get people, college kids coming up to me, and they're like, oh, so uh, this might be kind of awkward, but I heard like a, a legend about you. Like, <laughs> is it true that you were able to like, like marry someone in college and I'm like yeah like you know and then they sit and they and the, the cycle repeats itself and it's not again because of always because we need the exact recipe but because we want hope you know we when you find someone who is able to get a job where you want to work or you find someone who is able to buy a house or invest or get married or whatever get into a certain program like you know what I mean like you want to apply for a certain program or a residency, like you try to find someone that's done it so that you can do the same thing and just walk in their footsteps. We're all looking for inspiration, right? That's why the internet is so filled with these inspiring people trying to inspire people, right? Influencers. We're all looking for inspiration. It's a commodity. But when it comes to spirituality, we look in the wrong places for inspiration. We're looking to the wrong people for our spiritual inspiration. That's why Allah tells us, it's here. Allah says that. Sirat alayhim. There are people that have been given the favor of God. There are those people that have been given this favor from Allah. In another place in the Quran, Allah highlights who these people are. He says that these people are, uh, he says, فَأُولَٰئِكَ that Allah Ta'ala in Surah Nisa, He says that, and whoever obeys Allah and His Messenger will be in the company of those who have been earned or given the blessing and favor of Allah, and He then lists them, the prophets, the people of Sidq, of truth, we'll talk about that, the martyrs and the righteous, what an amazing company to have. So if we're looking for spiritual growth and we're wondering why we can't find that connectivity to Allah in the way that we want, the question we have to ask ourselves is, number one, are we even looking to begin with? And number two, who are we looking to? Allah has given us a list of people. Just like LinkedIn tells you who worked where, Allah has told you, here are the people that have successfully attained this connection to Allah. Are you looking at their stories? Are you looking at their lessons? The first is that he mentioned the prophets. And we know that the stories of the prophets are like amazing, really amazing. The prophet Sallallahu himself, of course, his seerah is incredible. Look at other stories of prophets. I mean, you find in Surah Yusuf, think about this, okay? The inspiration for the prophet Muhammad Sallallahu himself was the stories of the prophets. When the prophet Sallallahu was at his emotional lowest, at his most difficult time, the year was called the Am of Huzn, the year of grief, Allah sent him the story of Yusuf. Why? Because when you are at your low, you need hope. And Yusuf's story, salam, is a story that just, it just injects hope into the, into the body of, of a person's faith, like an IV into their actual physical body. You see that Yusuf was had a great relationship with his father and was abandoned and betrayed by his brothers. Somehow he was able to be saved from his situation. He went through ups and downs and ups and downs and ups and downs and he was able to persevere. 
And there are moments in your life where you're going to look at your life and you're going to see ups and downs and ups and downs. And those stories of prophets being able to do that is going to give you what you need. Even when Allah Ta'ala describes Maryam alayhi salam, when Allah is talking about Isa, He says what? وَأُمُّهُ صَدِّيقَةٌ That and her, his mother was a truthful person, right? Was a person of tasdiq. So the next group that Allah Ta'ala mentions to us are those people known as a siddiq the siddiqeen those people who were truthful. Truthful in what, by the way? Truthful in what? When Allah Ta'ala calls people truthful, what is He saying? Yeah, very good. They were truthful in their belief in Allah. You know why? Because all of us, when we say that I believe in Allah, we're actually not stating a fact, we're stating a claim. When you say I'm Muslim, you're stating a half fact, but it's a claim. Every claim has to be proven, right? So all of us are like, yeah, I work out. <laughs> Let me see your Apple Watch. <laughs> Let me see your activity, right? Yeah, I'm a runner, right? Where are your shoes at? You know what I mean? Like, no, I run when the I run when the buffet opens. You know, that's my run. But we all have claims, okay? So saying I'm a believer, like I'm a Muslim, I believe in Allah, it's a beautiful statement, but it, it has to have substantiation. It has to have evidence, right? So what's one of the beautiful stories of evidence? Is the story of Abu Bakr. Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, the best friend of the Prophet he claimed to be a Muslim, like everybody else, okay? Now, that doesn't mean that we deny people, right? Someone says like, hey, Salaam are you Muslim? Yeah, so you think. <laughs> Show me your Muslim, like, no. It, but we, we interpret our own claim, right? You don't, you don't, we don't, uh, we don't hold tests for people, we test ourselves, okay? So like, what's the start of your test every day is Fajr. Like, do I mean this or not, you know? And it's one thing to sleep through it, but it's a whole other thing to hit the snooze button. Because you sleep through it, you can at least be like, oh, claim innocence, right? Even though it's not really. But when you hit the snooze button, there's those few minutes where you're like, I know I have to do this. I know I have to do this. Why is Dallas so cold right now? I didn't move to Texas for this, <laughs> right? And, and you know, right? And then it's, it, gets, it gets exponentially harder if you can't even go back to sleep afterwards. You're like, why did I stay up so late last night? My wife was texting me last night at 2 a.m. because when you're married and you have kids, you usually end up sleeping in two different beds. So she was in the bed with the kids, uh, and I, I, was, I was in my bed because when I go to their bed, they're like, where's mama? I'm like, that's not nice. <laughs> like, I love you too. And they're like, that's fine. Where's mama? So Iman, Musa's fine, but Iman, I'm sorry, I'm talking about kids again. See, the person was right, the brother was right. This guy's always talking about his kids, like therapy. Um, so she's texting me, and it's like 2 in the morning, we're just having a deep conversation about something, and then she's like, you know what? I said, what? She goes, I'm going to hate myself in the morning. Like, I'm going to hate myself with Fedra. Right? Why? Because when you can't go back to sleep, you're like, why did I do this? But again, it's a, it's a test of your faith. It's a test of whether or not I really believe in Allah. Is whether or not I'm going to do things right. So Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, when was he given this title as Siddiq was what? After one of the most unbelievable times in the Prophet Sallallahu life. If you were here for the messenger, you know. When the Prophet Sallallahu was was uh, called to Allah on the journey, the night journey of the ascension from Jerusalem, he did all these amazing things, completely inexplicable physically at the time. Traveled from Mecca to Jerusalem and back in one night. Impossible. Now it's possible because of airplanes. We're like, oh yeah, that's... But I want you to imagine back then, this is a journey that would take weeks and months. Then he goes and he meets all the messengers and all the prophets. He leads them in prayers. He ascends the heavens. 
he speaks to these prophets, he goes eventually and reaches the, the, the boundary of the heavens, he's led there and goes and meets Allah, in whatever way that happened, and receives the ordaining of the five prayers, comes back down, witnesses all these other incredible things as he's you know, uh, uh, traveling from Jerusalem back to Mecca, sees all of these, he's given a, a peek into the unseen. It's a really amazing story, okay? And then he gets back to Mecca and what happens? He gets back to Mecca and who's the first person to greet him is Abu Jahl. Okay? And they're all like, what are you smiling about? And he's like, you know, he's got this look on his face like he's like, alhamdulillah. Like, I just, I'm good. Like, I just, I just went to Jerusalem. I just met all my, my prophet community. Like, I got, you know, Musa pushed me up to lead prayer. Like, are you serious? I prayed. I've met a lot. Like, and so he's got this glow, right? He's got this glow. So like, what are you so happy about? So the Prophet says, he tells them, tonight I made a journey to Bayt al-Maqtis. I went to the holy house, right, in Jerusalem, Aqsa. And uh, yeah, and he, and he told them. And you know what the response was? They just start laughing at him. And they just start mocking him. And they're just like yelling, yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep telling us more. This is a great story. And this crowd starts to form. And all these people are just jeering and yelling and, and, and they're cracking up, right? And the Prophet is trying to tell them. And every time he tells them a new part of the story, they just start like booing at him, basically. But there's one person that's sitting right in front of him that every time he finishes his sentence and everyone starts getting into their uproar, he says, Sadaqti ya Rasulullah. You're being truthful. It's Abu Bakr. And he says this every time. In the midst of yelling and clamoring, you hear one voice. Sadaqti ya Rasulullah. You're being truthful. I believe in you. So finally, at the very end, after saying this numerous times, the Prophet looks at him back and says, You're truthful. You're sitting amongst hundreds of people. None of them believe me even for a second. But your faith is unwavering. It's not moving. I'm telling you something that is physically impossible and it's not moving, right? It's one of these things. Now, Allah is not asking us to be in that environment and to make those claims and to respond to the Prophet and stand firm when we're being pushed, right? But there are other moments of our lives where we are in the proverbial hot seat and we have to remain true in that moment. Right? Like when you know that what you're going to do is not the right thing. But no one's watching. There's not a single person there. And you know because you looked over your shoulder. Like you know, right? And you could just play it off. Whether there's some sort of, you know, financial transaction that you shouldn't be involved in or some sort of job description that's not there, whatever. There's many different cracks, right, in the, in the surface of our faith that we could easily just slip on through. In those moments, are you going to be like Abu Bakr? Are you going to be a Siddiq? Right? Maryam alayhi salam. Why did Allah describe her as the mother of Isa was someone who was true, true in her faith? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? You've never been with a man in your life and you come back with a child? They were so shocked that they didn't know what to say. They were like, and what did Allah tell Maryam alayhi salam to do? What did Jibreel be quiet. Don't say a single thing. Do not respond to anyone's claims. Has anyone here ever been attacked falsely about something? Yes or no? 
What's the number one thing you want to do when someone comes at you with a false allegation? Okay, that's physical. Yeah, smack his leg. What's the number one thing you want to do? When someone, when someone comes at you with something that's false, you want to do what? Respond. You want to respond. Because you're like, no, no, no. I'm telling the truth. So Allah tells Maryam, don't respond. Don't say a single thing. What do you do? Just point at the, at the baby. So they're, 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 the town, her community, are freaking out. Because this is a serious thing. I mean, you talk about drama. This is drama. And she's from a family of, of prophetic nobility. Okay? This is like major scandal. And I say, Ya Ukhta Harun. Oh, sister of Aaron. What on earth? How are you going to explain this? What is your explanation? She points to this child. This baby. You guys ever seen a newborn child before? They don't even look like they know what, that they're alive. They're like, why am I not warm anymore? Like, what happened in the last 48 hours? Right? She points to this child. I'm a servant of Allah. And Isa begins to speak. And he begins to tell all of... Listen to Surah Maryam. It's, it shakes your heart. Can you imagine the, the burden of faith that Maryam salam had to experience to trust in that moment? Like fourth quarter, games on the line? I'm not going to make a cowboy's joke. <laughs> and you have to trust in Allah that much? Abu Bakr is being laughed at and his prophet, salam, is telling a story that is physically impossible to explain and his entire community and he's respected is jeering and laughing and he has to stand there and say I believe you right so now ask yourself like what are your moments of tasdiq what are your moments where you have to stand firm even though you can't explain it why do you do this why do Muslims do that do all Muslims do this why this is this just buy it just sign the contract. Just do this. And you have to stand there. And sometimes it's to other people. Sometimes it's to your family. And sometimes to yourself. You have to say what? No. Sadaqta ya Rasulullah. And sometimes you just point. And you say, I'm directing my, my answer is directed to Allah. Right? That's why we, when we stand in Fatiha, we say, Oh Allah. Oh Allah, give us that favor to remain strong in faith when we have no idea how we're going to be able to do it. The situation comes at me and I'm like shocked, right? And then I have to just demonstrate this complete and total faith in Allah. And it doesn't always mean that you're going to know the answer of how, right? When someone says, how are we going to get out of this? How are you going to find a job? How are you going to do this? You don't have to know the answer. You just have to know that Allah will take care of it. That's all he's asking. He's not saying that you have to know the plan. He just has to say that you have to know. And in that moment, you have to trust that it will be taken care of. Right? Do you trust? That's what Allah Ta'ala is saying here. That's what the favor of Allah Ta'ala is. So we ask Allah Ta'ala to make us amongst those. And then the list continues. But we don't have time. Right? It's obviously, it's already 7.50. Right? So we'll go ahead and talk a little bit about uh, uh, the other, inshallah. The other group, the other two groups. Oh Allah, make us amongst those on the path of those people that you have blessed. 
not those people that have earned your anger. Not of those people that have earned your anger. Now, when we talk about the anger of Allah, it's not a very comfortable subject. Many of you already started fidgeting. Everyone's like moving, right? It's important to know something. Number one, Allah's anger exists. Allah does get angry. But Allah does not get angry at things like we do. We're petty. Okay, human beings, our anger is not always justified. And even sometimes when it is justified, our anger is not commensurate with what happened, right? It goes overboard sometimes, okay? So when we project our human emotion of anger to Allah, we're doing a grave disservice to Allah. Allah Ta'ala's anger is never petty and it's never over the top. In fact, if Allah's anger is ever imbalanced, it's imbalanced by his mercy. Meaning he says, my mercy will always overtake my wrath. Inna rahmati taghribu ghadabi. My rahma will always conquer my anger, my wrath. Okay? But Allah Ta'ala does have anger because Allah's consequence is part of the system of justice. And we talked about this. That in order for people to be given their consequence for their neglect and their flagrant actions, there has to be some level of consequence. Now, the good news is that Allah is the one who is Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. He's the most merciful. So it's not to say that everyone here is like thinking of Allah and thinking like, oh, he's just going to punish me, right? And this is sometimes how people are taught Islam, is that God's punishment is so present. It's like ever present. If you even make one slip, just get ready, watch for the axe to fall. But that's not how Allah Ta'ala introduces himself, as we've talked about, okay? But it is there. And it's important to address that. And it's important to never, ever think to yourself, that you are eternally and universally safe from ever being on the wrong side of your relationship with Allah. Right? Aisha one time was asked, the wife of the Prophet ﷺ, someone asked her, I'm afraid of being a hypocrite. Okay? I'm afraid. This is a companion. This is a Sahabi. I'm afraid of being a hypocrite. She said, good. He said, what do you mean? That was very nice. She said, if you weren't afraid, then you probably are one. Right? Now, Aisha was kind of feisty. She's a little tough, right? That's kind of her vibe. She was known to be very, very uh, uh, strong in her face, right? So don't take that answer to heart if you don't wake up every morning thinking you're a hypocrite. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is that usually those people who think that they're safest from shaitan are the ones who are the most dangerous, right? We all have to wake up every day realizing that Islam was the greatest blessing we have and that just as much as we have it, tomorrow we can lose it. That's why we're taught in Islam to do what? If you ever see something doing wrong, someone doing wrong, what do you do? If you see someone doing wrong, what do you do? Uh, maybe if you have that relationship, you might remind them. But what do you do? Okay, make dua, good. Let me ask it this way. What do you not do if you see someone make, doing something wrong? You don't talk about it. You don't talk about it because the Prophet ﷺ said, whoever mocks someone for a sin, that that person will not die except that they will have committed the same sin. It's a prophecy. And I've seen this in my own life, dude. I've seen the parents of what they think to be righteous children commenting on kids who are struggling. Those kids, don't hang around those kids. By the way, that was me. The parents were like, don't hang around that kid, right? There I am eating a sandwich. I'm like, what are you talking about, right? (laughs) <laughs> SubhanAllah, you know, 
And it's just like this premature judgment. It happens. It happens. Right? Don't hang around those kids. Don't be like that. And then subhanAllah, dude, two, three, four, five years later, as Michael Scott right, said, how the turntable. Right? <laughs> and it's sad and it's scary. But that's why the Prophet taught us, never, ever, ever, if you see someone making a mistake, dua first and foremost. Oh, Allah Ta'ala, please help them. I don't know what circumstance, or I don't know what situation they're in. Just make it easy for them, right? Love, right? Dua comes from love. If you know them, if you have that kind of relationship, sure, you can, you can give them a little advice. That's fine, right? But again, I wouldn't make it, I wouldn't generalize that. But absolutely never talk about people, right? And if we get comfortable talking about people, we've entered into the realm where we think that we are untouchable. And we think that we're so good that we're never going to fall into making a mistake. May Allah protect us. Because the people that earn the wrath of Allah, the greatest that we know about, his name is Shaytan. And there was a time in his existence when he was not the one who earned the wrath of Allah at that moment. Right? He was not the one who had done the action that had earned the wrath of Allah at that moment. So there was a moment in which Shaytan felt very safe with who he was. And it was just one rejection, one sajda, one prayer that was denied that put him into the wrath of God. Or those who have gone astray. What's the difference between those who have gone astray and those who have earned Allah Ta'ala's wrath? Well, earning the wrath of Allah Ta'ala, typically the scholar said, is a is a action that is done and that has uh, intent or neglect that is blameful, right? Not every mistake is okay. There are some mistakes that are not okay, right? You guys agree or disagree? Are there some mistakes that are just so neglectful that you should have known better? Yes or no? Yeah, right? Okay, so that's what the scholars say is from the anger of Allah Ta'ala. Adhalin are those who have gone astray. And the interesting thing about those who have gone astray is that a lot of them didn't have necessarily bad intentions. Their intentions were good. But the person was so disconnected from what was truth and what was not truth that they used up all of their good intentions, but they went the wrong direction, right? So you could be driving a car and using your gas, but going the wrong way. So how do we know the right way? GPS, okay. How about in Islam? Yeah, the Prophet sallallahu them. The message of the the message he brought, the Quran and his example. That's why he said, "Taraktu fikum amri." I'm leaving with you two things: "Lam tadillu ma tanasaktum bihima." No one. He's promising this. If you hang on to these two things, you will never go the wrong direction. All your effort will be in the right way. What are those two things? Kitab Allah wa sunnat the book of Allah, the Quran, the thing that we're reading now for the past you know, month, and the sunnah of his messenger, right? A connection to these things will make sure that you never go in the wrong direction. I'll give you an example of this. Is praying good? Is praying good? Not enough uh, consensus here in the room, okay? <laughs> Is praying a good thing? Yes. Yeah, okay. What about uh, praying in the bathroom? Should we do that? Why not? Isn't prayer good? Why do we not pray in the bathroom? 
Hopefully. Uh, do we pray in the bathroom? There's not enough, uh, again, there's not enough, I'm not getting enough pushback on that. Everyone's like, yeah, sounds good. Let's try it. Are they big enough? Right? Enough stalls? Why don't we pray in the bathroom, y'all? Because it's a place that's what? It's dirty. It's empty. And we're taught that prayer has to be done in a place that generally does not have najasa, does not have filth. Okay? So we avoid praying in the bathroom because we don't mention the name of Allah Ta'ala in these places. Okay? But prayer is good. So what, what even taught us that we don't pray in the bathroom? Knowledge. Is fasting good? Yes. Yeah, fasting is really good. May Allah Ta'ala give us Ramadan. Amen. Allow us to reach it. Ameen. Right? Just a couple months away. Fasting is great, right? Should we fast on Eid? What about Eid, guys? Should we fast on Eid? You know it's actually a sin to fast on Eid. Isn't that crazy? Fasting the day before was an obligation. On the last day of Ramadan, it's a obligation. The next day, it is a sin. How? It's the same action. Because Allah and his messenger said, it's Eid, go eat. Right? It literally even sounds the same. Eat, eat. Like, go. <laughs> Don't fast. Okay? So Islam is not about the logic of the human trying to decide what's good and bad. It's about the intellect working together with divine scripture to understand but obey and submit. So those people at Dalin are those people who have good intentions. And they really had a genuine passion for faith, but their, their neglect of knowledge unfortunately allowed them to take a wrong turn and they never checked the map again. And they ended up in the wrong place. So we ask Allah Ta'ala to make us amongst those who has given the favor of good faith and that our faith is something that gives us the ability to be true in our faith and that we're never ever waver and that we're able to conquer all of those moments of doubt, those moments of distraction. We ask Allah Ta'ala to never allow us to be people that knowingly step into the realm of his anger and then we ask Allah Ta'ala to always make us those who are sincere but always those who are also guided. Ameen, ameen, ya Rabbi, ameen. So we now conclude Surah Al-Fatiha, alhamdulillah. Um, hopefully, inshallah, there's some benefit in it, uh, inshallah. But the amazing thing about the Quran is that, in a way, when the chapters end, they end, but they also keep going. And so, Surah Al-Baqarah, the next chapter, uh, the longest chapter in the Quran, 286 verses, uh, is an amazing chapter of the Quran. And there's many themes within this chapter. We're going to start going over the first couple of, uh, first maybe four or five pages of it. Because Allah Ta'ala actually continues to highlight three groups of people. And in those three groups of people, he tells us about what a person of faith looks like, what a person of denial and rejection, and a person of hypocrisy looks like. And we're going to go through and cover that, inshallah, uh, as our community Quran study continues on Monday night. So Jazakallah khair, everybody. May Allah Ta'ala bless everybody here. Uh, we do have, inshallah, this Friday... Our first in-person game night again. Those of you might remember back before uh, the pandemic, we had our game nights. Um, and we took a break, obviously. But now we are going to be having a game night this Friday, inshallah. If you check our Instagram, there's an RSPP to register. Uh, so please do that. Uh, we do have limited spots available, so you might want to do it if you haven't already. Um, and inshallah, that night, we are going to be also asking everyone to keep their masks on. Uh, except for, obviously, when eating or drinking. So please just remember that and just plan accordingly. Pick a mask that... Matches your outfit or something, I don't know. So, the blue's getting old. Okay, alright guys, take care. Salam alaikum.